April. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst, um, this is our podcast about pop culture, and it will be talking about um, news, TV, films, books, maybe a podcast, more celebrity stuff, not Tom Hardy. Try not to, I'll curb the Tom Hardy. Tom, curb the Tom Hardy. Um, if you haven't found us before online, you can do so. You'll find us on Twitter at The Thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod, iTunes, you can search for us, The Thirst, Instagram, we're at The Thirst Pod. Um, the Tumblr that Steph always forgets is thethirstpod.tumblr.com. Don't believe it's real. It is real. You know it's real. Um, and either email address, if you want to get in touch to send us some feedback and questions, is thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, thank you to everyone who's downloaded the first five episodes, um, told their friends, subscribed, given us any feedback, and left us a review on iTunes. Uh, this is episode six. Yep. I may have wrongly labelled the last one as number six. I was getting ahead of myself. She's getting ahead of herself. Yeah. It's definitely number six now. Um, yeah. As with every episode, we'll do some threaded tweets to share links of things or articles we refer to. Um, and those will be up on Tumblr and we'll tweet those as well. Um, we're doing this every two weeks. I'm going on holiday soon. Oh, no. This is a discussion we've probably had off pod. Yes, we'll, we'll just work around it, won't we? There might be a hiatus. Yeah, we'll, we'll like an extra week. An extra week, but we'll see what we can do. Okay, so uh, we start with news, um, talking about a few things that have happened in the past uh, week or two. Um, firstly, Nelson Ellis, uh, who played Lafayette in True Blood, um, died recently uh, at the age of 39, which is really young. Um, really sad. Yeah, really, really sad. So died quite suddenly. Um, he his he had now uh, he had a blood infection, um, which uh, I think they believe. Uh, came about from going through withdrawal for drug and alcohol addiction. That's really sad. I got really, really into True Blood, and I think I borrowed it all from you. Yes, I think you probably did. I was um, a big True Blood fan. That was like one summer when Tom was away, um, and I think I'd watched the first season on Channel 4. Yeah, I think it was on Channel 4. Channel 4, I remember doing catch-up, and um, Lafayette was like... Bar, bar, by far one of the best characters. Yeah, Lafayette, basically Lafayette and Pam, I think, 100%. are... And Alex Skarsgård's face. But, sure. yeah, character-wise, Lafayette and Pam are, like, the ones. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think Nelson Ellis is... Well, I haven't watched anything else that Nelson Ellis has no, been in. No, I haven't seen him in anything else. When I was reading an article about him sadly passing away, they did refer to his sort of um, career as a whole. He had written some plays, I think, for the stage. Yeah, That's yeah. That's sort of came to prominence. Um, but there were some really interesting things that I'd read about how Lafayette as a character had been quite... Um, you know, key to a lot of um, young African Americans. It was American fa yeah, fairly iconic. Men. For... Yeah, especially for those within the sort of queer community. Yeah. Because of, of on on the show, he was you know an outwardly gay character, mm. and for an African American man in particular, that was quite huge for television. Yeah. So um, there's been some nice things written this week about you know the the sort of role that he had for a lot of young men, um, sort of around the time of True Blood. So it's mm. really sad to see that he passed away, and there you know lots of kind of nice things from co-stars um, flying around Twitter, which yeah, is sort of nice absolutely to see. really supportive. But as always. Um, most of the time you don't even realise that people are suffering with these addiction problems yeah, until it's too late. I so no one, um, his family released a statement to say that he was ashamed of his addiction and was therefore reluctant to talk about it during his life. Um, his family, however, believes that in death he would want his life to serve as a cautionary tale. Yeah, so as always, it's, you know, someone going through that alone 
which is also yeah, really sad. Yeah, and I can sad. imagine, like, having been in sort of quite a prominent... Because True Blood was, you know, a pretty big one. I still on. love True Blood yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, to, to get kind of famous quite rapidly on a show that's so prominent, you know, on HBO, it must mm. have been quite tough. So I imagine that yeah. you know, probably didn't help things either. So rest in peace, Nelson Ellis. Um, also this week, the um, Emmy nominations uh, were released. Um, the award ceremony itself will take place in September, hosted by um, Stephen Colbert. Um, there's loads and loads of nominations, which I obviously won't um, run through. I've got a few here that stand out for me. Um, HBO did very, very yeah, well. Yeah, they did do really well. I think it's over 100 nominations for various different programmes. That's mad. Which is crazy, but I mean, they've put out... They're very prominent in the TV landscape, aren't they? So it's mm. unsurprising. Um, I'm still baffled by the fact that Modern Family is still being nominated for everything. Did you have you ever watched? Modern I've Family? never watched Modern Family. I, I don't really feel that fast. I feel about like I've it. watched a couple of episodes of, of various different seasons, and it, I found it quite grating. But people, much like the Big Bang Theory, I think it's one of those things that people love, which I don't get. So yeah, fine. Um, there were loads. Soz. Soz. There were loads of nominations for Westworld as well. Westworld had 22 nominations. Did you, did you watch Westworld? Um, I watched. Yes, I watched Westworld. Um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed Westworld. Um, I think it is definitely a slow burner. Mm -hmm. um, and it had some really good episodes. It had a few episodes where I was sort of l almost losing interest sure. and then they kind of got me back on board. So uh, I was really interested sort of generally by it and I enjoyed it and I will be watching like the next season. I wasn't completely and utterly blown away by it. No. So 22 nominations is quite a lot yeah <laughs> I, I just think it was excessive um one thing i did particularly like as well is that riz ahmed um got nominated yes. for um, best actor in a limited series for the night of but he was also nominated for um best actor in a or guest actor i think in a comedy series for or was it drama either way it was for girls for it, girls oh i loved his character in girls. we loved him didn't we we did um, so much i really enjoyed that big little lies got a lot of nominations mm -hmm. um i did notice multiple, that um, in things like supporting actress, I think that Laura Dern and um, Shalene Woodley are nominated together yeah, in the same so category. Be... So that'll be interesting. Um, big snubs for the leftovers. Um, that was apparently a big deal. I haven't sure. ever gotten around to watching it, which considering it um, stars Justin Theroux, I'm not entirely sure why because I love him. Is that the one that's based on the Tom Perrotta? Yeah, I yeah. watched. I did actually start watching that, mm -hmm. but I kind of. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but I ended... You know, when you end up putting stuff to the side because yeah. you run out of time or whatever? So I think I'll go back to it at some point. I really enjoyed the book. This so. season was the final season, I think. So I think for me, it's going to be one of those things I go back and watch at Rewatch. some point. Yeah. Um, one thing that I am absolutely baffled by, though, with regards to these Emmy nominations, is that Shannon Purser, a.k.a. Bob, oh, Stranger yeah. Things, has been nominated for a guest actress in a drama series. Um, I retweeted like, something from the first account this week that was like, basically someone saying like, I really like Stranger Things, but just, you know, nominating Barb is I just like, you know, nominating a meme. It is a bit. And like, I'm all for Barb. And it was a really funny thing to get behind when it emerged on social media as like a thing. But she literally just blinks and talks like, five lines it's not I really think it the also... idea of barb is more than yeah i mean <laughs> what barb actually it, was it gives like shannon does or does shannon purser a complete disservice as well like, well done you for 
Because it's like know. you, you. It was a good, you know. She was good in it, but I mean, not any. She's basically not. She's not a piss take, but it's like a popular joke rather than. Yeah, like that's a, why the whole memification thing came up. I think because a bit like memification. Has anyone ever said that? Yeah, is it's that, a thing now. Is it a thing? A memification. Is it in the dictionary? Uh, probably. The dictionary. The dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> it might also be in the dictionary, but sure. I'd expect it more in the dictionary. So that's the Emmy stuff. Um, um, another couple. I just wanted to point out couple karaoke. Nominated for Best Variety Special. Full disclosure. I, I love. We love James love. Corden. Yeah, oh, totally. I'm so not ashamed about that. I went through a real period of liking James Corden and then being very anti-James Corden. Yeah. And then I'm now back on the I side I think he's wonderful. He's and Carpool. I mean, oh. Carpool brings me out of such darkness sometimes. I just watch it whenever I'm sad just, and I feel so happy. Do you remember when we watched the Harry Styles one? What, just, just cried together? Cried together. Brilliant. Yeah, and um, and also no Twin Peaks uh, because it doesn't fall within said time timeline. Yeah, time so I don't know whether that means next I'd, year. Whether it would fall within next year or I whether it's it actually does. falling between the lines. I don't know. No, I have a feeling it will probably end up being eligible for stuff because Stranger Things is nominated. And that's quite late, right? And like that was new, bloody ages ago. Yeah, the new season of Stranger Things is obviously coming in October, but I think that it must be the dates for it must be very must, wide yeah. eligibility so i'm i'm assuming i'd be really surprised if twin peaks hopefully twin peaks out. next year all of the awards um something i just wanted to draw attention to because of how much it baffled me this week um was that there was a, a news article which came from a los angeles times um interview with rooney mara um who was doing some press for her upcoming film a ghost story um did you know that rooney mara had never eaten a pie until she was 31 it's literally the silliest thing i've ever heard like not any kind not even like a savory apparently pie. so the quote is um during an interview with the los angeles times the star of ghost story was asked about the scene in which mara's character emotionally eats an entire chocolate cream pie in silence chocolate cream pie sounds while great by the, way. the death of her partner that's I it mean, was such a unique way of showing grief we've never seen anything like that before and i'd actually never eaten a pie before that was my first and last pie why is it her pie. last pie well um firstly she's like um i think she said something in the article about how she doesn't have a sweet tooth but like how can you never have eaten a pie pie i mean as you well know i have pie every friday this is why i want to draw attention pie to day is friday every every friday the pie as well, the pie that's in the film apparently was like a specially crafted pie because she's like, I think they said it was like vegan, gluten-free and sugar-free or low sugar. She's dating Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like I wouldn't like have vegan. much in common with her. I don't want to be rude or anything. I'm, I I think she sounds incredibly dull if she doesn't eat pie. Yeah, I mean, I, I am vegan. I eat pie that's not had the joy sucked out of it. Yeah. So like, there's just so many pie options. I have a goat's cheese pie. It's great. Sounds weird, but it is amazing. Who is so. your favourite pie eater of co of pop culture? Well, we did. I was. We were thinking about this the other day because Dean Winchester from Supernatural probably ranks highest in my knowledge for pie loving. Yeah, he say, really I've, loves pie. I've not ever watched Supernatural, but I know that pie is a thing. He loves pie, and I think he probably does love pie more than Dale Cooper. Mm, okay. Um, I, ugh, and I, can I choose between them? I don't know if I can choose between them. But if I did a ranking of who I think actually does love pie more, Dean would be on top. Does, is there like a specific pie that Dean Winchester No, just eat? all pie. Oh, so because like Coop's obviously... If like, there's pie, he'll be completely Coop's distracted. Coop's incredibly pro-cherry pie. Yeah, so he's very okay. specific, whereas I think Dean would probably go for any and all pie that they come across. And it's 
like an actual I'm distraction really, for him. I'm, you know, pretty open to all pies, really. I mean, this pie in particular in the film is like a chocolate cream one. That's pretty niche. We don't get many. We Cream pie isn't really a thing over here. I wouldn't really consider it pie either. No, that's more, more a like a dessert. Like a... Like a tart? Tart. Yeah. That's a tart. Americans correct us, but... Uh, that's not a I, I would say dessert pies are actually tarts. Yeah. Because um, they don't have a crust on the top, no, right? No, so this is what I think of when it's a pie. A pie has got a crust on the top. I've got a book downstairs that's all pies. Maybe we can revise it. Oh, let's just, let's just have a pie-a-thon. We'll do some, a pie episode soon. I've never said pie so much I just, in my life. I was just so baffled by it. I just really needed to talk about it out loud. So Verbalise the pain. Sure, there you go. She's probably never going to eat another pie, but she is, she's tried one anyway. What well done, Rooney Mara. Finally, um, we received news this week that, uh, well, two, two bits of film-related news. Um, Eli Ross um, is reportedly producing um, uh, another Amateurville horror film uh, titled 1974. Um, so uh, that doesn't have a release date at the moment, um, but he's been attached to it. Um, and Quentin Tarantino um, is attached to direct a film about the Manson family murders. Um, and he is also apparently eyeing an all-star cast for the movie. Um, Rumours so far are potentially, I don't know if any of this is true, but potentially Margot Robbie in talks to play Sharon Tate. Sure. Um, other rumours, Jennifer Lawrence, Samuel L. Jackson... Viggo Mortensen. Well, Samuel L. Jackson's like a foregone conclusion where Tarantino's concerned. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Viggo Mortensen, I'd be pretty That would be amazing. Maybe you could play Charlie. Is he too small? I don't want him to play Charlie. Is he too small to Viggo play Charlie? I Mortensen too much. I, I mean, as, as nice as these two bits of news are, because I'm quite a fan of horror films and true crime and sure. supernatural-based stuff in general, yeah. um, Amateurville and, and the Manson murders are overdone quite a lot. Well, I was going to say... Can like, we have a film about something else? Yeah, why Why do we need to be making another Amityville film? Like, they haven't... There's, there's another Amityville film that's due to come out soon as well. Well, they, re they remade so there's it a, recently. there's two. I say recently, within the last five or ten years. With, Probably with, ten. With Ryan With Ryan Reynolds, right? So there's another one which I think is like... Is it Amityville The Awakening or something? I, that's due out soon and so weird. I mean I'm literally watching season two of Aquarius so the amount of Charles Manson related stuff is I mean it's a bit overkill I'd rather who else would you rather see a film about what, what true crime wise? yeah I Li think literally anyone <laughs> literally any true crime person I mean like because it oh, I just don't know I, I feel like the Manson murders as well are such a thing that's like in the public spectrum again recently like they'll like last year i remember reading two books that were both manson yes based those the girls by emma klein which is like very much influenced by the manson and there was another like straight family. to dvd film yeah, about the was. manson murders it's so weird just make a um, film about something else and i think you'd agree that as sort of fascinating as the manson murders are um Charles Manson's actually just a bit of a dork, and do I actually what? find him quite... Actually, I think... Because I, I don't find him as fascinating as a no, lot of people I do. Think I just think he's a bit of a nerd. quite troubling about this. As much as I love slash hate some, you know, Tarantino's work, I have a real love-hate relationship with it, and him in particular. Um, I just feel like I would wish he would put his efforts into something else. Yeah, I you don't... You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel the need to see another Manson... It just seems really Anything. obvious. So if you're going to do a true crime film that's rooted oh, in there's so many. reality, why don't you just pick something else? Yeah. 
back. It's been overdone, but I feel they've both been overdone, actually. Amityville's another yeah, one that's, you know, one, I, in, in a similar vein, just... Uh, just so much they keep pumping out versions of it um what was the last decent thing that eli roth did no idea silence nothing i can't even being in glorious bastards yes probably He's that was a good a film weirdo. that was a good film um yeah done cool so to what we're currently enjoying and what we're looking forward to um music wise we've had a little bit of a link up because there's something in particular that we've both been enjoying we have um, indeed we have indeed uh, last week uh, saw the release of the new high end record uh, something to tell you um which we've both very much enjoyed and um, what were your immediate thoughts feelings um i think uh i've had quite a nice build up to this um the tracks that they sort of released in advance which were uh, want you back little of your love and right now, yeah, um, I, like I how think, they drip it. It was a bit yeah, I, they were all great. Were I really great. loved them. So I think I was immediately on board anyway. Um, first listen, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's not like, I don't, I really, really love Days Are Gone, which is their yeah, first record. And um, it's, it is slightly different to that. Um, Do you think it feels like a more of a slow burn in the sense It is more too? of a slow burn. Because I feel like with Days Are Gone, I got like, listen to it and like front to back once through I was like I'm so sold on this but yeah this new record it definitely took me a couple of plays to kind of come around to it yeah it's, it's not drastically different but it's just a different I don't know it, it, maybe different tempo maybe different hook, yeah I don't know. I, it's I mean, definitely a different tempo and I think it I think this one sounds more consistent mm. but I but I think for the consistency for some people has seemed a bit samey rather yeah, sure. than um i think the first record everything sound like every track sounded very unique and different whereas I, these there's a cup there's two tracks i can't remember which ones there's one track that runs into another track on this record that do actually sound i literally the same. was about to say to you that like i feel like this record in particular it blends as one fairly seamlessly which is a positive yeah. thing but then in comparison to days are gone um which i felt like had very unique individual songs which i really liked yeah. as well because i feel like it showed a lot of variety like um one of my favorite songs on the first record was my song um number five mm, my song um, five yeah. yeah and that's one of so my great. favorites because of how it's quite different to yeah. the rest of and it's amazing album. live as well yeah exactly so um this new record i feel like it's definitely more, it's more follow through from front to back, I think. But, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I couldn't, I don't, I don't feel negatively towards it at all. It's like straight, even though it did kind of take a couple of listens just to completely get it. Um, I really enjoyed it from the outset. I feel like it's a nice record for this time of year. Time is so good for summer. Yeah, absolutely. So good. It's been really nice walking home in the evenings when, from work when it's been really light and sunny and like listening to it. It's just sort of like a nice like walk home yeah and they're just so the complete package like mm. they've got the sister thing yeah. they're also talented they all have amazing voices yeah um they have like a really nice chemistry yeah and okay. i think musically they're they're just i think they're great so sonically they come there's sort of that harmony the harmonizing between them the way that they're probably yeah. quite yeah the way they come together it's just really really I don't know, it's amazing. When we saw them live, it was mind-blowing. Oh, so. yeah, I was about to say, I can't remember what year that was, but that was definitely one of my shows of the year because it just but was yeah, so much fun. And also I find it's quite rare sometimes the way that records can sound on actual record and mm. then live, there can be a lot of like wild differences. So for me, it was really nice when we did see them and hear them play songs from that first album that mm. actually like they kind of transcended how they appeared 
you know, when from actual recording. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. But I do but, definitely feel like it's going to be something I'm just going to be playing heavily on rotation this summer. So. It's so great. And I've heard, I've heard, definitely had more um, negative comments this time uh, than when the first record came out. But I hope those people change their mind because I think it's, I do think, like, as a whole, it's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, movies. Um, I will preface this by saying that we have, both seen Baby Driver and it's our main topic. This it week. is definitely so we our main topic. Too much. And we have seen a couple of other things though in the last week or so too. Um, we both went to see It Comes at Night, um, which is uh, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, starring Joel Edgerton, Christopher Abbott, Carmen Ijogo. Um, it's a kind of, how would you describe it? Proto horror? Modern yeah, horror? Yeah, it's kind of a, I guess it's modern horror, but it's, it's one of those things where it was. Uh, I think there's been a split opinion on it because the trailer very much marketed it as a modern horror mm -hmm. where it's actually more of a kind of slow burner drama thriller. It's, I felt that yeah. a lot of the marketing for it had been similar to the marketing that um, was done for The Witch. For The Witch, yeah, um, I, mean, I agree. A2, it's worth flat. I mean, we talked before about A24 putting out so many really great films that mm. we've been really into, so I don't know if it's anything to do with them, but it's it's, it's similar, actually, content-wise, yeah. I felt, because a lot of the lot of the brilliance that came from The Witch was the fact that it was a bit of a slow burn, and it's very psychological, and you kind of have to read between the lines, and a lot of it's up to interpretation, and I felt that way about It Comes yeah. at Night, actually. Yeah, there's a huge feeling throughout the film without... Uh, going into plot details, there's a huge amount of kind of lingering dread and a lot of paranoia, which I think you get in The Witch as well. But I do think the trailer was a bit of a miss-sell. Yeah, I mean, the premise for the film itself, again, without spoiling too much, is that um, it's a family who are living in the woods. There's sort of been an unknown kind of... I don't know, threat. Disaster, I mean, threat. They're yeah. basically living, hiding out there. Um, and, you know, it comes at night as kind of this vague saying yeah it's yeah I mean, over the film um and another family joins them and the kind of drama ensues from them it definitely wasn't for me what i thought it was going to be it was I, absolutely not what i thought it was going to be i enjoyed it and i thought a lot about it since yeah so i assume that was a good thing yeah i've thought about it too um it's a very um i think it's i can safely say without giving anything away that it's quite an ambiguous film it felt purposefully um, made to yeah me. there are there are sequences where you don't know whether it's you know it, whether it's real whether it's a dream sequence um it's not the sort of film where you get lots of concrete answers and again i think that's put some people off i don't have a problem with that at all no for me it felt a little bit like something you could watch time and time again and get something different out of it something yeah. you could sit and have a conversation about to sort of debate i mean one of the first things i did when we left the cinema was go on reddit mm. and kind of look at the theories and the different things that people had pointed out mm. as being um allusions to kind of biblical themes or i saw else. about that so, yeah, yeah yeah i mean i thought it was really really interesting um our friend alex fell asleep yes after after we went to the cinema with our friend alex and um he fell asleep within the first five minutes no less yeah. and slept through the entire film so that's the best nine pounds he's ever spent it was the easiest babysitting job we've ever had it really it's not necessarily was. um representation of the film but no it's not just just felt like yeah it, it um yeah it it's definitely a film that conveys a feeling, I think, mm. rather than yeah, really telling a story. Yeah, and um, I came out with the same sense of 
I don't know, kind of despair that I got when I came out of the road and when I came, when I finished watching The Mist. Yeah, um, what, one, one of the things that you did say when we left was like, that was the bleakest cinematic experience I've had since The Road. And yes, I absolutely was like, yeah, me too. Like, I remember leaving when I went to see that, the um, adaptation of the brilliant Cormac McCarthy book. I remember just being like, oh, I just want to go and lay down in bed now. And yeah, just lay down in the dark and think about things. Talk to anyone for a few hours. Yeah. So yeah, definitely similar vibes. I'd still, I'd, I'd recommend it, but I, I think it, it will be another case of people getting annoyed that the trailer didn't. I feel like the trailer will, is sold as something completely yeah, different. Yeah, I feel like it's something people will either love or hate, so... Um, we also watched um, Okja, yeah. um, directed by Bon Joon-ho, um, which was a Netflix release. We talked about it before because it premiered at Cannes, and there's obviously the slight controversy there because it was a Netflix release. Um, lots of different issues there. Um, stars, um, amongst others, Tilda Swinton, Paul Dano, Stephen Yeun, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I don't know who that person who is. is. It's a brilliant cast, and I'd been really, 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 really looking forward to it. And... Um, it had taken a couple of weeks to find some time to watch it, mm. but um, it really blew me away. Yeah, you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, without, so basically the premise is that there's a, uh, a kind of worldwide company that... Um, it's basically a pig farming, a global yeah, pig farming. Yeah, a global pig farming, and there's, the pig, there's a pig that's called Okiara, and it's his friendship with a girl. Um, it's basically about animal rights. It is about animal rights. It's about global pig farming competition yeah, and, and capitalism and, and the way that we kind of mercilessly slaughter animals, slaughter animals for money for consumption. and food. I yeah. mean, the, you know, for me being vegan, um, it, I personally would have really struggled to watch it and justify my meat consumption yeah, afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it necessarily is purposefully kind of antagonizing meat eaters in that respect, but it gave me a lot to think about. Yeah, I think I'd be interested I'd be interested to hear um from uh, from meat eaters and how they felt watching it because uh it's not like it was a new um idea for me. Um in terms of what the story was talking about, but I still found it actually really difficult to watch. It's, quite, it's a really tough watch. For isn't a CGI it? pig, I was yeah. really struggling. It was a really, really, really tough watch, and I just think it was really powerful in that it was as well and there were some really brilliant performances i mean tilda swindon was great she was brilliant I really enjoyed um paul dano as um kind of a leader of the yeah. animal liberation front that um, was a really interesting group actually yeah absolutely um jake john hall's kind of purposefully batshit as this kind of animal zoologist entertainer he's but, um, good at doing that i really shit. would encourage everyone to watch it i the main thing i took away from it well not the main thing one of the main things I took away from it, which is something that kind of links up with a lot of the reviews I've read about it, is that I think it's a real shame that you're not going to get the opportunity to watch it in the cinema because yeah. the, the scenes of um, Okja um, that are set in Korea in mm. amazing landscapes, they're just incredibly it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. It just been... It's a big film for a small screen, yeah, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I felt. And I just, you seem like such a nice, it would have been such a nice experience to have in a cinema. Mm. So I know that in some places it has had a limited release in um, in theatres. I think in London, I know they've definitely shown it um, oh, in good. cinema. So, yeah, I mean, if you have an access to Netflix, I would definitely encourage you to I'd watch it. it. It's equal parts um, hilarious and touching and tragic. I think yeah. it hit on a lot of different emotions, which made it quite a... It was a great but a difficult watch. Yeah, absolutely. 
Television. Should we cover television quickly? Sure, what have you been uh, watching, April? Um, last week we finished, or well, last weekend, we finished watching um, Glow. Um, oh, of course, the yeah. The Glamorous Ra Ladies of Wrestling. It's a uh, show on Netflix, um, 10 episodes, I think, half an hour long, so it's my dream scenario. Um, the writing staff behind it are some of the... Um, crew behind Orange is the New Black, the um, showrunner is Genji Cohen, who's uh, Orange is the New Black as well. Um, mm. It stars, amongst others, Mark Maron, Alison Brie, Betty Gilpin, um, Kate Nash. Strange. That was a curveball. Sure. Ball. Hi, um, Kate. Kate Nash. Um, it's largely women cast, actually, which was great. It's basically a kind of fictionalisation of the um, coming together of the Glamorous Ladies of Wrestling, which was a show that was on TV in the 80s. Um, it's just a really, it was kind of one of those things where Netflix had been tra uh, trailing it for ages on, on the platform and um, based on the cast alone, I was kind of keen to watch it. Mm. I really like Alison Brie. I think she's really, really funny. She's great in Community as Annie. She's excellent in Mad Men as Trudy. Mm. Um, I am absolutely infatuated with Mark Maron in a slightly very... Wait, who's Mark Maron? Mark Maron. Do you, have you ever listened to WTF with Mark Maron? No, I He's haven't. a stand-up comedian who has a podcast. Okay. Um, Sorry for my ignorance. No, it's fine. Total weird dad vibes just love him oh i love a good dad yeah no, so I, love I, a dad. I really really like him he has his own tv show had for his own tv show called marin as well which is on okay. netflix um which i would encourage people to watch as well if they're into him but anyway yeah, he was kind of a draw for me as well because he'd done a brief uh performance in the netflix show um easy mm -hmm. as well he had he was in one of those episodes and he was really really good in it so i was intrigued to see how much you know how much further his kind of acting credentials can, could kind of go and um yeah it's just a really really enjoyable show it's nothing too complex yeah um it's got some great stuff about female relationships and females working in the entertainment industry it's set in the 1980s so um in the first episode in particular there's this amazing scene um with ruth um who's played by alison brie she's at an audition and um it's not too much of a spoiler but she she's at the audition and she reads the man's part on purpose <laughs> right because she knows it's the better Brilliant. part and the casting agent points it out and it's kind of i don't know it's just an interesting commentary yeah. on what it must be like to be a woman in the entertainment industry so if you're after something that's kind of short um, that won't take you very long to get through, but it's worth spending time with. I definitely would recommend it. And as personally as someone with no investment or interest whatsoever in wrestling, that doesn't matter. No, 100%. I don't give a shit about wrestling. In the <laughs> I'm glad possible, we're on the same way. In the nicest possible oh, way. Oh, yeah, I mean, I've got too much time to worry about other things, let alone yeah, like that's it's just, the mix. I mean, I've, I've, dipped, I've dipped in and out over the years, um, and I completely get why people are absolutely besotted with it, but it isn't something I've ever occupied my time with. But as someone that's kind of an outsider to the sport as it were it's still like yeah it was super that's kind of the backdrop but not the main thing yeah yeah okay. i mean i was i was really skeptical because and actually when i was trying to sell it to tom to watch he was just like no, i'm not fussed because mm. it's about wrestling but you know in it's it's not just about wrestling it's about so much more than wrestling oh, so much more so yeah i mean you don't have to have a wrestling knowledge i don't know anything about it other than like what a, who hulk hogan is so does Kate Nash sing about lemons. She doesn't. Lemons. She does do some weird rapping, though. Oh, no. And she gets the snog Mark Maron. Oh. She's yeah. actually... I didn't know she was doing anything. She's clearly actually done better than I thought. Yeah, she's been in a couple of things, actually. But, I mean, I was... It was oh. she an actor now? Yeah, as a British person, it was weird for me. I imagine if you're an American and you don't really know who she, she is. You don't give a shit. <laughs> I wouldn't care. But for me, I was just, like, thinking about her singing in a Cockney accent, so... 
We have so many lemons. So many lemons. Bitter. Bitter. Uh, on the television front, um, apart from the bits that I'm just carrying on watching, like American Gods and Twin Peaks, um, I started watching The Mist, which uh, aired um, late June, I think, is when it first started. There's only been about three episodes, or I've watched three episodes, um, based on the 1980 novella by Stephen King about a mist that descends on a town um, and its inhabitants. Have is to it a work out. Not, yeah, yeah, it's a novella. Book. Yeah, it's a novella. Oh, sure, okay. um, I'd love, I'd love to read a novella at the moment. I'm still trying to get through it. Um, so yeah, it's about a, a, a town that uh, a mist descends upon, and the the inhabitants of the town don't know what is in the mist, and they're trying to survive and battle against it. Uh, it's it's fine. Um, Does it it's fine. One of note? No, not really. It's got the woman who plays. I can't remember her name. Like the maid in American Horror Story. What was her name? I can't remember. The elderly oh, woman. The woman. Oh God, I can't remember her name. She's she, in it. She's yeah. like a she's like a hippie. She's in Six Feet Under. Yes, yes, yes. I can't remember what her name is, which is awful. But she's the only person of note, really, to me. Um, it's it's fine. The acting's pretty meh. It's kind of in the same vein. I I really love MTV Scream. Like sure. I absolutely love it. It's not. I can completely understand that people think it's shit and wouldn't touch it. That's absolutely fine. It's pure entertainment for me. And um, Mist is probably in the same vein as that. It's got some pretty questionable bits of acting in it, but it's fine. Um, what? Um, who's the people that put it out? Uh, it's on Spike, so... Oh, okay, niche. Yeah, niche, no idea. It's, it's not about to... I, I imagine it will get cut after one season, if sure. they're planning any more. Um, it's absolutely fine. I'll pro I could easily stop watching it before it ends, or I might I continue. I feel like as, uh, you're a huge Stephen King fan, I'm so you're like predisposed to be into it, so... Yeah, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Um, Sometimes it's just nice to watch stuff. Just like a good filler, you know? You know? Um, but I, I, would, I would actually defend Scream. Sure. MTV Scream. I would defend that, but I probably wouldn't defend The Mist. So I'm. I imagine I'm not going to mention it to you again ever. So as we briefly alluded to during our kind of movie chat a second ago, um, the main topic of discussion this week is um, Baby Driver. Baby Driver. We're going to be looking at Baby Driver and just generally music and film. Um, we both saw. Um, we've both seen the film twice now and together. together. Yeah. And we had a very visceral reaction to it. And when we were kind of talking about things you wanted to talk about on the podcast, we realised that it wouldn't kind of suffice being stuck in a kind of briefly touched like five minutes thing we so we enjoy, thought we'd yeah. expand on it just so we can have a bit of a discussion mm -hmm. about it um i don't know about you but personally in advance of the film coming out um i was strongly anticipating it i think in a couple of our early episodes yeah um, i'd alluded to the fact that it was something i was very much looking forward to seeing mm -hmm. um in the next few months and um that is absolutely the case um i am a huge edgar wright fan um i really enjoy his work whether that's um spaced way back in the day yeah tv um the cornetto trilogy cornetto so trilogy is right sure it's like a staple of british yeah filmmaking. it's like sean of the dead hot fuzz um the world's end um i think that scott pilgrim his um didn't do particularly well at the box office but i think it's an absolute cult classic it's very much a cult classic isn't it's it? such an underrated masterpiece for me so um in advance of seeing baby driver really kind of as soon as i heard this was on the table um, as being his next film, um, I was pretty psyched. Um, he 
if you don't know much about Edgar Wright's career as a whole, um, he had been previously attached to work on Ant-Man, um, the Marvel adaptation oh, yeah, which starred Paul Rudd. Um, he and Joe Cornish had worked on the script for eight years. Um, and and then, then there was a few differences, right? There was a few differences. He, um, I was listening to a podcast this week and he basically talks about the fact that like, he was working on it as a writer and director and then he had a meeting and he suddenly wasn't the writer anymore and he realised that he didn't want to be doing a franchise where he wasn't getting as much creative control about it and he's mm. talked quite a lot about how he was quite hurt by the process um and how um you know having put a lot of time and effort into it um it hurt him to walk, walk away but one of the good things to come out of it was that he actually was in a position to do baby driver um, which has also been on the cards like has been a yeah so uh, it's um, been pl pl sort of thought about or planned for a while yeah right? I mean, one thing that's come up in a lot of the press he's been doing for the film recently is that he's talked about the fact that he was first inspired to with an idea for the film um when he was 22 moved to london um <laughs> had been listening to John Spencer's Blues Explosion um, and there's one song in particular, um, Bell Bottoms, which comes up in the film, in Baby Driver itself. Um, it's which the first, first, first song. First song, exactly the first song you hear in the film. Um, he talks about how when he heard that song he kind of had visions of a kind of heist being um, done to this song. So it's an, it's an idea, I mean, I think Edgar Wright's 42 now, so... So it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been on the back burner. He's, he recently did a month-long season at the BFI, which was called Car Car Land. Um, and it was a sort of series of movies which had inspired Baby Driver mm. and his work on it. And a quote that came from the BFI website that said, um, not having had the pleasure of being in any high-speed chases growing up in rural England, I had to get my Route 66 kicks from the movies. Um, so it's kind of taken real inspiration from kind of like American classics. So it's interesting that it has been an idea that he has had for such a long time, mm. which is so rooted in his kind of cinematic kind of personal history and his mm. enjoyment of films. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like an old idea that he's had that's kind of taken a long time to get to the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as it was announced that he was doing it after Ant-Man, I was very excited. Um, what are your kind of thoughts and feelings about Edgar Wright's films as a whole, kind of the work that he's done before in the past? Um, I'm, I'm, I think the Cornetto trilogy, like, stands out for me um, above everything else. I think Shaun of the Dead is easily one of the best <laughs> films so to come out in the last, like, I don't know, 20 years. 20 years. Like, it's so amazing. So was I. I used to watch it on repeat. on repeat. It's brilliant. And I think I think they have... I think Hot Fuzz was also brilliant. I could watch that on repeat. World's End wasn't didn't quite hit the mark as much for me, but I did still really enjoy it. But I think together there, it's just, yeah, it's such yeah. an amazing accomplishment. It's really interesting three. to look at the kind of the work that he has done with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in mm. particular, who are the two consistent um, stars of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, it's really interesting, actually. Tom and I watched Hot Fuzz um, a few weeks ago. We were, I think we watched it at the same time you did. Was it on TV? Did you no, watch it? On, was it, was it on, on, Netflix? on Netflix? It came on Netflix, didn't it? Because we watched it as well, like maybe the night after. Yeah, and I've been banging on to Tom about the fact that I was really looking forward to Baby Driver. Um, and we had been meaning to kind of do a bit of an Edgar Wright rewatch mm. in advance of it and saw Hot Fuzz was on Netflix. And, um, you know, of, of the Cornetto trilogy, like I said, Shaun of the Dead, I've just relentlessly played into oblivion, really. Um, I think I could never get sick of Shaun of the Dead. I I, the, 
One of the things I think will come up in this discussion about Baby Driver is that I think that every single time I watch an Edgar Wright film, I take something new away from it. And yeah. I think that's because he's very good at kind of hiding little Easter eggs in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whether he constructs his films lends themselves well to kind of finding new little things in there. Mm. Um, but yeah, Hot Fuzz, I hadn't seen in ages. And we mm. watched it, and it's just so much fun. Um, it's, it's really great. Yeah, really. I actually think I enjoyed it a lot more than I did initially when I saw yeah. it at the cinema. And that probably was because I'd I mean, following the hype of Shaun of the Dead is yeah, quite hard. I think, I think that was kind of a... I mean, I de it definitely starts with Shaun at the top, Hot Fuzz in the middle. Um, world's end at the end at the end um, <laughs> and also I think you can I'm sure we'll talk about this some more but you can very obviously see um, in the Cornetto trilogy and in Scott Pilgrim um, Edgar Wright's love of music and soundtracks um, and how that kind of has I feel like has built almost to a crescendo with Baby Driver yeah absolutely one of my favourite things about Edgar Wright as a director actually um, and generally as a human being is that his enthusiasm for um, cinema and music is incredibly mm. um, I feel like everything he does like the films he's done so far have very much been like love letters to pop culture in that respect which yeah, is like absolutely. i think why we love them so much as well yeah completely i mean his love for cinema is so clear um and it's just it's really nice to see on screen i mean one of the things that um mark kermode said in particular about edgar wright's work is that um it's what like watching someone who loves cinema show you what they can do with it yeah um which is so so true um scott pilgrim is an interesting one i think for me because um I really liked the comic series by um, Brian. Oh, have you read that? Because I haven't yeah. read the comics. I really liked Scott Pilgrim, and I'd been really looking forward to it. And I remember seeing it and absolutely enjoying it. And then so much of the press around it was incredibly critical. And like I said, it was a it was a box office flop. I think it was a bit of a slow. To be honest, I I didn't mind it the first time I saw it, but I only became really keen on it probably the second time it actually yeah. took me a little bit longer i think um there was an article i was reading in sight and sound magazine which was mark kermode interviewing edgar wright and he says that one of the things that often gets thrown around about the kind of quote-unquote failures of scott pilgrim is the marketing mm. so um, edgar wright refutes this but he does say that one of the things that does come up is how difficult it was to market it because it's it's so many different things at once. yeah i don't know how you'd market a film like that it's yeah yeah i mean i really liked it's kind of like knowing nods to kind of the video game culture um i think it is quite niche in that respect yeah it's not the kind of blockbustery film that no I and maybe I think people those, anticipated it being yeah it's one of those things where i feel like the cornetto trilogy has much broader appeal yes um, as comedies and as kind of like action comedies whereas scott pilgrim is incredibly niche everyone i know that loves it loves it to like the highest degree yeah um there are many things that i get out of got out of scott pilgrim which constantly crop in crop up in my um day-to-day -day life yeah including um i'm gonna go pee due to boredom that's my favorite mm. go-to line brilliant Just the whole <laughs> i'm bored i'm gonna go pee <laughs> so um when it comes to baby driver um itself um what were your kind of general thoughts feelings just general overview really um i was looking forward to seeing the film um i think i probably wasn't quite as excited as you were but i was definitely looking forward to mm -hmm. it um and f uh, coming out of the cinema on that first watch i was just so absolutely like hyped on it i just couldn't believe how happy i was afterwards i hadn't expected to feel quite like that and i'd felt like that from the very opening scene absolutely um just the very opening scene with the very first song mm -hmm. with the bell bottom song um it just with ansel elga in the car mm -hmm. i just 
it was just so, I don't know, I think it was so rhythmic and the the general um, pace of the entire film was so exciting. I'm not really one for car chases or no. anything like that. It's not, I can't, I mean, I, I understand that this film gives a lot of knowing and loving nods to other sort of driver films and I'm not particularly knowledgeable about that, but I just really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, um, when I was I was listening to the um, Kermode and Mayo film review and um, Mark Kermode again referred to it as pure cinema rush, um, and he described it, it is. It's so much adrenaline. Yeah, he up. described it as a heist movie and a musical, um, mm -hmm. brilliantly exciting, visceral cinema. I mean, you mentioned the kind of um, how referential it is of um, other driving kind of heist mm -hmm. movies. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I referred to the season that Edgar Wright did at the BFI, um, the Car Car Land um, kind of influences on the film itself. Um, some of those films that were included in that were To Live and Die in L.A. Um, which is directed by William Friedkin. The Italian Job, obviously starring Michael Caine. Um, John Landis is the Blues Brothers, um, mm -hmm. Smokey and the Bandit, the um, Burt Reynolds classic. Um, another William Friedkin, The French Connection, which obviously stars Gene Hackman. Um, the Steve McQueen classic, Bullet, and The Driver, um, which star, uh, stars Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, I've heard The Driver mentioned a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to think about kind of the history of car and heist films. I mean, obviously, I feel like... Um, it's really naive to kind of talk about Baby Driver without thinking about those films mm -hmm. and also the, one of the films that isn't listed there but um, one for me that came up immediately especially because of the use of its music as well was um, obviously Nicholas Winding Refn's um, Drive mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. um, came out in 2012 sure. which was another film that I'd absolutely loved and felt handled um, the use of music um, in particular really well yeah really 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 well um, it's um, interesting to think about, actually, because so a lot of those films that were in that BFI series that um, Edgar Wright put together were based in L.A., which I hadn't really thought about. Mm. Um, originally, um, Wright had said himself that he had written the film to be set in L.A., but tax breaks meant that it moved to Atlanta, um, and he himself acknowledges that the benefit of that meant that um, it has the opportunity to exist outside the realms of being an L.A. car Yeah, movie. and it's very, um, again in terms of sort of a love letter to uh, other films and love letter to music, um, it's it's um, very much set in Atlanta, isn't it? So I yeah. haven't been to Atlanta, but I know I can fully acknowledge that it's, it's so firmly set that as a location, mm -hmm. it references a lot of Atlanta-specific things. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading um, just a little bit, uh, about Edgar Wright talking about location and saying that, uh, you know, the movie features uh, Octane Coffee, Criminal Records, which is a famous record store. It's got the ATL twins in it, which yeah. is one of my favourite moments. Yeah. Um, it's got local Atlanta Fox 5, um, Atlanta radio stations are heard in the car. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I thought that was really interesting and a really nice touch as well. Yeah, the thing with Octane Coffee, actually, um, Edgar Wright did an, um, sort of an AMA on Twitter recently. And that was something that someone asked him was like, oh, was that purposefully like put in because of the kind of, you know, symbolism of yeah. it being called Octane? He was like, no, it's just an Atlantic. It's just, train. it's no. Like, like, it's an yeah, it's one of those things. I hadn't even thought of that. No, actually. it was one of those things that we stumbled upon and actually it came, you know, it came at the right time. <laughs> really well. like, oh, great. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Right, Edgar Wright as well has talked about how the film sort of marks a deliberate shift for him away from overt comedy. I mean, there are definitely comedic aspects. It in is funny. Driver. It is funny. Yeah, I'd say throughout, fairly solidly. Absolutely, funny. and I think if you but if you do compare it to the kind of, 
don't know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Wild End seem like more obvious comedies, mm. whereas um, Baby Driver is particularly dramatic in parts, you know, mm. so it does seem like a kind of purposeful shift. Um, I would bill it as, I think when I've described it to people, I've used the words action and musical more than I have comedy. Yeah, I don't think I would put sort of directly put it into the comedy bracket. I mean, yeah, like, like you, I kind of, um, absolutely loved it from the get-go. Um, that opening scene, I think, is just one of the best executed. I think the first scenes. like twenty minutes, I've just, pretty much. I, I honestly was blown away. I mean, like for me, the difficulty can sometimes be managing my expectations. I've mm. been let down so many times going into films generally, where I've been so so psyched, um, and things haven't kind of lived up to my own hype. But for this, like, I don't think I stopped smiling no i didn't throughout like every little twist and turn every little kind of musical cue and the way that everything was executed, so perfectly curated like, isn't it it's just so so well mm. put together and, and yeah i have to give a sh i do have to give a shout out to ansel elga as well because um he i've seen him in various things before um and he hasn't really turn my head or I could barely remember him to be honest and I think he is utterly charming in this and I really enjoyed his relationship with Lily James mm -hmm. it had definite kind of true romance Bonnie and Clyde Absolutely. vibes and yeah. I was really charmed by that in a way that I wasn't expecting and I think we've said before especially when we were talking about Wonder Woman how I'm not often actually sold on those kind of romances in films um I don't know why. I just I, often it takes it takes quite a lot for me to be fully on board with them. I was completely charmed by it. And when we went the second time with our friend Ashley, I could just she was just loving every second of it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you actually um, about your stand-up performances. It's worth giving mm. a kind of a bit of a rundown of the cast. So mm. the kind of the premise is that um, Ansel Elgort plays um, Baby, who is a a heist getaway driver um due to some sort of kind of tangled reasons he's at the um mercy of doc who's played by kevin spacey and um, he's kind of having to pay off his debts to doc by driving for all of these kind of crimes that doc is orchestrating um so the first time we see him um He's part of a heist crew, which includes um, John Bernthal, um, John Hamm, um, Isaac Gonzalez. Um, and then later, um, we kind of come across Lily James, um, Jamie Foxx, um, Flea. Flea, Flea is in there for a bit. Up. That's interesting. Um, so it's kind of been like a really, really interesting cast. Um, I, yeah, I mean, like you, I was really astounded. Well, not astounded, but I just was pleasantly surprised by Ansel Elgort, to be honest. I thought he was completely charming in it. Yeah, and then... I I kind of <laughs> obviously went home and researched him extensively, sure. and I mean he's an absolute dork, isn't he? He's such in real a nerd. Life. I mean, um, I sent you that video of that he. Was it I think we. Yeah, I'm going to link to this. I think we have to. I ha we have to mention this music video. It's really funny because my only exposure it's the funniest thing I've seen in a very long time. Absolutely, my only exposure to Ansel I've got in advance of this film was watching the Fight in Our Stars, yes. which is the adaptation of the John Green. Um, Which we saw together, I think, yeah. Book. yeah, I mean, I can't even think about it without wanting to cry a little bit, so I won't go into it too much. But he was fine as Gus in that. Yeah. Um, I know that he's in the Divergent series as he well. He is, yeah. And um, again, I'd completely forgotten about that until it was mentioned. So. I mentioned it to Tom, who had watched, uh, has seen Divergent, and he was equally surprised as well. So, I mean, one thing I did quite like, actually, is that... Um, one thing that Baby does do in the film is he's kind of quite a rhythmic 
person. Very rhythmic. Um, and Elgort's got a background in ballet, which yes. makes so much sense. It makes it. so much sense. And that music, I think it has to be stated, so Ansel Elgort is also a musician, um, and he released, there's a video you can see, um, you have to watch the video as well as listening to the song. The song itself isn't too bad, but the video is unreal. I mean, it, it's, it's like... strange, isn't it? It's, it's so odd. It's the oddest thing. And it's like, uh, he isn't take, I don't think he intends to take the piss with it, no. but he constantly looks like he's taking the piss. Yeah, that was my He's not someone I can take seriously. No, not at all. Um, other stand-up performances that I particularly enjoyed in the film as well, um, John Hamm. I'm a big John Hamm fan. Are you a big John Hamm fan? It's probably never come up. No, um, it hasn't. I really like his work in Mad Men as Don Draper. Um, Mad Men's probably my favourite TV show of all time, so it was kind of a foregone conclusion that as soon as I saw that he was in this cast, um, I would kind of, I don't know, lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. um, he was great in this he was, of, he of was, buddy. He yeah. was a, kind of a bad guy. Um, he really built up the it really built up the intensity of his performance as well all, that was always my favorite. he was kind of the nice guy at the beginning and it definitely turns into something yeah i mean very it's really lazy to make comparisons to don draper but it had don draper vibes in that like you know he's kind of maybe got a good heart but he's also kind of an asshole and you probably wouldn't want to fuck him over mm. because he will probably actually ruin your life mm. um so yeah i really really enjoyed john ham i fucking love kevin spacey as kevin well. spacey i mean i think kevin's Space is fairly great anyway, but he's so good. He's really funny. Isn't he's it? he's so funny. He's so dry. He's so good at playing an asshole. Right. Like so good at it. He's brilliant. He's so yeah. He just sounds sarcastic all the time. His his sarcasm is fairly unbelievable. I was listening to an interview with um, Edgar Wright and Kevin Spacey being interviewed at the same time, and he just sounds like he's like purposefully trolling whoever's interviewing He's, him. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Love Kevin Spacey. Um, one thing I have found particularly interesting, I mean, maybe it's just because I loved it so much and I probably can't even fully express just how much I loved it. She loved it a little bit. Like she if loved I it, could go she loved it this, quite a lot. If I could go and see this film every single day for the summer, I'd be so happy. Um, so there, there has been a little bit of backlash to it. Um, one thing that I can, can kind of compare it to is the way that La La Land received a lot of backlash. Yeah. So one of the criticisms, um, which I'd like to acknowledge that um, sort of has come up in a lot of criticism about the film, but wasn't something that necessarily I immediately thought of, was whether or not it passes the Bechdel test. Um, this asks whether a work of fiction features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Um, um, about apparently about half of films meet this requirement and it is something I find very very interesting um, mm. talking about the entertainment industry as a whole and the way that women are represented in um, media yeah um, it's based on the work of American cartoonist Alison Bechdel um, it's sort of inspired by some um, work that she did in the past um, apparently Baby, Do Baby Driver fails at um, I can imagine it probably yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, when I kind of, this came up in an article I was reading that had been incredibly critical about the film, um, which is obviously fine. People are very much entitled to their own opinions. It definitely wasn't something that bothered me. And actually, um, so obviously in Baby Driver, there are um, two female characters. Yeah. Um, and they don't necessarily interact with each other because no, they're very they don't. Se much separate story arcs. So for yeah. me, it wasn't necessarily an issue. Um, I don't know how you felt about it. Um, I kind of felt similar to you, really. I hadn't, you obviously we talked about it a bit afterwards um, when those criticisms came to light. I hadn't thought about it while watching the film. No. And I had It hadn't weighed on my mind afterwards. Um, looking back on it, I can 
pretty I can acknowledge that I think it is a valid criticism Completely, yeah absolutely. Um, and it is is definitely a thing and I'm sure I think there there could have been a way to um, include I don't include isn't the right wet word but include women more in the story um, both of the main kind of female characters Deborah and Darling have a fair amount of screen time absolutely but um, yeah they're not completely autonomous um no and i do think that like um it's very much a criticism that i'm incredibly aware of um you know i think i can i think we both can definitely acknowledge that oh, yeah, as completely. um if people are, are not feeling yeah as positively towards the film and this is what is most problematic about it i can i can completely see that yeah. personally it didn't weigh on my mind too heavily no i mean i think if the film does have a downside it is the kind of the lack of the well-rounded female characters that's you know i think it's because the narrative itself obviously pivots around baby being this kind of at the center point of it um um one um i just wanted to read one quick quote actually that our friend um von had sent me because i asked her uh, what she felt about baby driver um and i thought specifically she would address this criticism and she said um she loved it, super fun, not too self-indulgent Edgar Wright, although still can't write or direct women as more than just mothers and muses. No, and that was something actually when I was thinking about how it doesn't really fail that test and actually how the women aren't particularly well around didn't make me go back. No, they're not particularly no, it well around. It did make me go back and think about his other films and the female characters that are in them. Um, Cornetto Trilogy especially and Shaun of the Dead, you've got Shaun's mum mm. and Shaun's girlfriend who he's broken up with, who tries to get back together with. Um, who just comes across as nothing but mean. Mm. Um, you know, those aren't necessarily issues that overt issues that I had with those films, but I completely yeah. understand yeah. that people flag that in his work yeah. and, you know, it's definitely something to think about um, and is something that I completely acknowledge in yeah. the same way that I kind of, you know, uh, can happily acknowledge it in other directors yeah. as well. I think I would have maybe liked to have seen a bit more from Isa Gonzalez. Um, she was really she good. She was as well. in um, From Dust Till Dawn, the TV series. Um, oh, sure, she's okay. utterly, I mean, she's ridiculously gorgeous, isn't yeah, she? She's um, she kind of suffered the same problem in that um, she's in that show as well. She's very much a kind of, you know, she's a feisty. Uh, I won't go into From Dust Till Dawn too much, but you know, she's a very strong-willed, feisty character in that as well. But there's not actually that much to her role, and I hope that doesn't always happen with no, her. No, I mean, I did like, one thing I will say about her role um, as Darling in the film, actually, is that I did like that she was very much part of the action. You know, yeah, she was, she was definitely she's part of the action. She's to the heist crew, and there's one particular sequence uh, kind of halfway through the film um, where there's a kind of a shootout, and she's definitely involved in mm. that, you know, at the forefront. So, you know, she does have an active participant role. I think I definitely would have been more angry if she was kind of posited as this dancer. left in the car yeah. you stay in the car yeah uh -huh. i definitely would have been, had issues if she was kind of you know left there um one other criticism which i do disagree with um is that it was cheesy i don't yeah. I, I personally i i didn't find any of it cheesy i didn't find i certainly didn't find use of music cheesy uh, i i don't think there were any elements of the script that i found particularly cheesy and i'm usually really I feel really, I kind of bristle a lot when it comes to kind of cheesy scripts. Like, I usually pick up on that quite a lot. Yeah, And absolutely. I really didn't. No, I mean, that's what, something we'll come to, actually, when we start to talk a little bit more about the use of music in the film. I mm. think that probably for a lot of people comes out of that kind of 
how heavily utilised the um, songs are in yeah. the film. Um, one com sort of comparison I'd seen um, to the way that uh, Wright does weave songs throughout the narrative is the way that kind of music is sh had been shoehorned into Suicide Squad. Um, I know oh, okay. I know you haven't seen it. I haven't it, seen it and I've that, got no um, desire to see it. But. There's sort of this kind of sequence towards the beginning where it's they meet when each when you meet each different character that's being assembled as part of the Suicide Squad. They don't have a different soundtrack yeah, for they, each. They've, they've, they've all been like assigned a particular song, oh, which is no. kind of like, you know, supposed to kind of, um, tell you a lot about them or something and I think that that had been kind of a comparison I'd seen. I don't think yeah. that's the case. In I don't think Ryan that is. Or... I mean, I feel like that's how you do soundtracks incorrectly. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So that's something that I'd like to come on to. I mean, actually, um, you know, um, in that Sight and Sound article that I was talking about, um, Edgar Wright mentions the fact that the studio had been reluctant to embrace the musical side of things. Okay. Um, they'd wanted to pitch it as a straight heist sort of action movie with hmm. less focus on the songs, but the shift kind of came at South by Southwest when actually a lot of the press that had seen the film when it showed there focused heavily on the um the kind of use of music and Edgar Wright's intention with it um okay one thing that I found particularly interesting about the music side of things actually is that um what Edgar Wright um says that he wrote each scene um he wrote a song per scene if that makes sense oh, okay when yeah he was that kind of yeah that does make sense as well you can see that absolutely and also i didn't realize that when the script was sent out to actors um he had sent a cd with the script for them oh, to I listen to no. as they were reading it because so much of the script had been written around those particular songs um it's interesting actually if you think about the fact that he had weaved those songs through the narrative mm. and the script way in advance of it being filmed mm. often the soundtrack's kind of put on later yeah yeah they might know that there are particular songs that they want to use but they might not get clearance for it right mm. has talked about the fact that actually they might get clearance for all of those songs in advance of filming, that's very cool which is so okay. incredibly rare. that shows how integral it was yeah then. because he says that he wrote the song wrote the script sorry with particular songs in mind mm. and um there would be on the storyboarding as well, there would be the kind of beats of the particular song, so the action or the movement would coincide with mm. it. Um, and Kevin Spacey has also talked about the fact that um, during particular monologues or sections of the film, they'd often have earpieces in with the music playing okay. so they could kind of almost co they, Much, choreograph. Yeah, well, it's, it. it does feel very rhythmic, so the, the music matches... In, yeah, it matches really well with the dialogue and with the action, um, and it all feels very interlinked. Yeah, so there's a quote in uh, Variety, an interview that Edgar Wright did, uh, says, I, uh, when I wrote this script, I basically put the beats of the song into the stage direction along with the action. We did storyboards, and then we cut the storyboards to the songs so we could try and time it out and make sure it worked, um, which I just think is really, really yeah. interesting. and shows you how important and integral um, the songs are to the way that the, the, the story progresses. I mean, I know that in the last week, or so of having seen the film twice i've apart from listening to high which you've said just I've, listen to the soundtrack yeah me too and it's really funny i mean one of my favorite things about kind of uh, seeing a film that has a great soundtrack um is going back and listening to that soundtrack and then thinking about the film but baby driver is a really good example of how when you are listening to this the soundtrack i personally could just was remembering every scene yeah me too me too and, um, that it so rarely happens you know sometimes you'll hear a song and i'll think about oh it's in that film but i won't be able to like beat for beat yeah for the exact action and that's just absolutely i think that's just so you know exemplar of how incredibly powerful music is to the um 
to the film. I mean, what did you think about the kind of uh, the use of iPods and headphones um, in the film? Really, really interesting. It um, is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the use of uh, headphones in films before, and I know it's been in a few other films, but um, it, you know, personally, it definitely ties into that experience of sort of sound tracking your life. Hundred percent. Um, and it was so funny. I mean without giving obviously this isn't a spoiler so I'm not giving anything away um it's in the trailer baby driver um is a getaway driver who wears headphones and listens to his ipod all the time um he has tinnitus um and so he uses the music to um block that out uh among other reasons um there are just a few key scenes where he like matches what he's listening to specifically to his mood uh, or to what's happening in the scene i do that all the there's time. the bit where he he's in the car and he can't drive away until he's chosen the right radio station yeah. i do that all the time i literally cannot drive unless i'm choosing the right um one thing that i hadn't realized that i did until a couple of months ago it's just like a natural reaction um but that on my walk to work every day there's a point at which if i'm listening to a podcast I'll turn it off and I'll put music on. Ah. It's when I'm like probably five or ten minutes away from yeah. walking into the office, and I'll always try and beat match. Well, the walk to the work walk to, to work is really integral, right? So yeah. there are definite, like there, are, yeah, there are definite beats and definite rhythms that I have to have when I'm walking, 100%. and I couldn't listen to something that wasn't the right pace. Yeah, 100%. and. I haven't really seen many films that would acknowledge that in the same way. And that was no, just... No, I mean, yeah. I think it's really interesting to think about the use, I mean, of iPods in particular. Um, again, Edgar Wright, in another article, um, or another interview, sorry, with Pitchfork, he mentions um, if he's been stealing cars since he was 12, he's going to have inherited a lot of other people's iPods. Yeah. Um, and another thing he says, I think the whole idea was to have it be, if Baby can't exist without music playing, then the film has almost got to be Watermore music. Um, there are obvious moments where he's deprived of music and it becomes tense for a second. It does, yeah, yeah it and does. I think it's really, really funny because it is pretty much flat-out wall-to-wall music, and that comes from the fact that Baby's always listening. He's mm. always got his headphones in because of his tinnitus. Um, he's, he's trying to drown it out, mm. and it's... For someone who always wears headphones, um, in, unless I'm in a position where I have to mm. physically interact with people, you know, like I'm walking around mm. town, um, I'm always listening to music mm. and that kind of idea of like self-curating your yeah. playlist in life. And it's and a really great, um, like, uh, kind of a, a safety measure, like a, a blanket as well, because in the film, Baby, you know, is able to block out um kind of some of the the terrible action that's taking place around him by using the, the earphones and you know in a lesser to a lesser extent like we do that in everyday life all the time mm -hmm. right so my action of like using earphones when I'm walking to work or walking through the city going shopping by myself mm -hmm. is like it gives me company and it gives me confidence to walk out and about by myself I can't I can't not I can't be just with my own it's thoughts a, not um, listening to anything walking around it's like a purposeful distancing thing it because is. on the flip side to that if, if I am out and and I want, or I'm on public transport, or I'm just doing anything where I don't necessarily. You don't want to talk want to, to anyone. People. Yes. I have my headphones in. They won't necessarily. It's a good block, me. right? It's people a, won't a, engage with you. Yeah, it's a purposeful distance. That sounds thing. very antisocial of us, but it's I true. know. I mean, it's funny though because I think Baby is obviously of the age where he is. He is that kind of iPod generation. Mm. I mean, this got me thinking a lot about my long history with iPods and oh, yes. the iPod Classic in particular. And and you know there is a is a kind of you know, there is a, a deeply rooted 
um, connection for him with mm -hmm. the device without going into yeah, it too much. And, um, yeah, and it's, I was going to ask, actually, it's, there are kind of a number of interesting things um, about Baby and his music. One is the choice of, yeah, iPod over phones or CDs mm -hmm. or... Um, and also the the type of music that he's choosing. Well, I um, think a lot of it comes from, I mean, his use of iPods. I mean, so obviously Edgar Wright mentions the fact that if he's been stealing cars, he's going to pick up these devices which people leave in their cars. Yeah. There's also another thing that he he's constantly got different sunglasses. And again, that would be something that yeah. he would pick up from boosting cars. Um, it's obviously funny because he uses burner phones, so phones that you would just yeah. get and throw away because of his kind of involvement with crime. But iPods, he's got kind of this consistent turnover of them they're all yeah. different it's there's one scene in particular where he's in his um house and he's kind of sitting at a desk and he's surrounded and i picked this up from the second time that we went to see it there are different ipods yeah. dropped around the room there's right. even the u2 ipod do you remember the yes yeah yeah, yeah 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 there's one of those in the docks as well so it's kind of funny to think about the fact that he would be picking lots of different ipods up mm. and consequently that that's where his music creation comes from mm. because he's not he's not the one that's kind of picking from Spotify what he wants to be listening to. It's a case of, oh, well, on what he's iPod, got I've from got people, that. Or, yeah. that, that's, has, that's his exposure to music mm. in the same way that, you know, you might kind of um, pick up different songs from different people by if they've given you a mixtape or something. Mm. His mm. is like picking up a device yeah. and actually kind of going through someone's music library and coming across the music. And mm. the music in the film is incredibly varied. It's not necessarily the kind of type of music that you would expect someone of that age to be listening to. Yeah, well, you've got like... You got everything from the damned to like, there's yeah, like the Harlem Mo Shuffle. Like, yeah, there's a lot of old Motown on there. Um, you know, there's some Commodores. Um, there's all this stuff that you just wouldn't necessarily mm. obviously pick for kind of. I mean, I think Baby's going to be his age 20s. group, yeah, right? Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Expect and it and it's all. a it's obviously a, te a contemporary film. It's not set like twenty thirty years ago. No, no not at all. Um, the other thing that's quite interesting. Um, about the music and kind of ties in with yeah his his choice of music is that um that it there's no oh i didn't feel like there was any kind of snobbishness there about his music choice mm -hmm. um uh he he is obviously you know he loves music and he uses it and it's integral to his kind of being but um he doesn't stick to a specific genre as you said like a lot of the music he gets is kind of secondhand he's got it from these ipods that he's been stealing he gets it from other people so i i don't think he would necessarily claim to have a great it looks it looks like um i guess from a superficial point of view on the outside it looks like he could have a really great extensive knowledge of music mm -hmm. and could be quite a snob about it but i don't think he is i don't think he knows and it's it really is summed up um, in that scene where he says to Debbie that um, there's a song called Deborah by Trex. Yeah, and, and she's like, can... oh, T-Rex. And yeah. it's so embarrassing. And you can just tell that he's never had to say that out loud to anyone. Yeah, he's never because... shared his music with anyone no. else. So I don't think there is any kind of snobbishness there. No, absolutely. There, there was a really interesting article on The Ringer um, by Lindsay Salads, which was um, titled Baby Driver and the Nostalgic Return of the iPod. Oh. Um, there's a quote from that. It says, um, it's worth noting that Baby isn't portrayed as a fan of any one band or genre yeah. so, much, so much as a fan of the act of listening and mm. the curation itself. He 
doesn't obsess over single songs so much as he uses them to express his passing states of mood, mm. um, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm. I mean, one of my favourite things about the contrast between using an iPod and kind of the way I listen to music now, which is more of a streaming kind of, you know, searching for things I want to listen to, mm. um, is you don't necessarily curate as much as um, I know that I did when I had iTunes, you know, like I would make playlists. Oh, yeah. I, I do make playlists now using Spotify, but there's definitely not... There's something, there is a marked difference between mm. having my iTunes catalogue at my disposal mm. or having 20,000 songs and knowing that I've handpicked all of them mm -hmm. versus being able to kind of just mm, sort of search for something mm. offhand and kind of find mm. it. I think there's a little bit more of it. And it was often, it's often dictated, like with iPods, it's often dictated by the size of the iPod, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Wes has got a really small iPod, mm -hmm. like it's like 16 gigabytes yeah. or something. So he actively has to curate what's on that iPod, yeah. like on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. he will take stuff stuff off and put stuff on yeah. um, and has to think about it whereas now yeah we've got every like the whole world at our fingertips absolutely and I, I remember doing that as well um, Lindsay's lads also wrote another article for The Ringer um, last year sometime actually so it's funny how this has come up um, it's called An Ode to the iPod Classic and in it um, she talks about the fact that she often still uses her as on the subway and she gets funny looks from people who think it's this kind of piece of archaic um, what the iPod yeah she's like someone getting out a Walkman yeah and she said again she in it she talks about the difference of overloading of streaming culture in contrast to the kind of curation and refining of using an iPod yeah um, she talks about how iPod libraries were often like kind of really interesting conversation yeah. starters because yeah. it was a real big way of kind of like honing down someone's interests whereas mm. um, there's just no way of doing it now no. someone had a look at my Spotify account they wouldn't they'd find sort of a few playlists that I've kind of put together but there wouldn't be anything there wouldn't be half as much definition about who I was at that particular time mm. I mean um, it's funny actually after seeing Baby Driver I did go home and find my iPod classic and charge <laughs> it, it up and it worked for the first time in years and it's like a little time capsule yeah it hasn't been updated since about 2000 and neither is mine no neither is mine so it's such a it's such a kind of representation of who I was at that time or what I was interested mm -hmm. in um, and it's been really nice revisiting stuff that I hadn't listened to for so long because either it's not on Spotify or I've just not thought about it. Mm. And I think that's one of the best things about Baby Driver, actually, is that, you know, you you would, by this kind of natural process of accumulating these devices, you would come across people's own catalogues mm. and you would come across yeah. the stuff that you'd never listened to. And actually, you know, maybe you would just get infatuated by one particular song. Yeah. Um, which, you know, would kind of be perfect for, for that move. And I do like the way that he does move but between kind of different devices because mm. in every I think every different scene he seems to have a different iPod, a different iPod so. even apart the pink sparkly one I like the pink sparkly one so obviously one of the most integral things which we have mentioned at length about Baby Driver is its use of music and I think it would be really disingenuous to talk about the film and not acknowledge the key role it has. Um, when I was talking to someone about the film I did say that I think the tone of it and my enjoyment levels of it would be completely different if it wasn't just wall-to-wall -wall music. Oh, yeah. um, and this got me thinking about some of my kind of my favourite uses of music in films mm -hmm. and just generally my favourite um, film soundtracks. Um, there's a quote that I've come across before I wrote ages ago like a it's kind of a blog post about soundtracks in particular um, a quote I used for that was one by David Lynch who we love oh, and it's David um, films are 50% visual and 50% sound sometimes yes. sound even overplays the visual um, I feel like you could definitely say that about Baby Driver as a plus point yeah um, you know it's like 75% yeah like we were saying the way that you can just listen to the score and automatically like kind of mentally recreate mm. that um 
So I just thought if I just kind of draw attention to some of my favorite uses of music in Baby mm -hmm. Driver, just some of the kind of songs that are on the soundtrack. Yeah that um, I partic felt particularly worked well. Um, obviously, it would be um, remiss of me to not mention the kind of brilliant use of the John Spencer Blues Explosion and Bell Bottoms right at the beginning. It really sets the tone for the yeah. whole film. I mean, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd noted that Bell Bottoms into the Harlem Shuffle oh my is God. like an amazing It feels so seamless music. when you listen to it on the, on the playlist. It does. It's just seamless. Um, yeah, so Harlem Shuffle, I think, is a great one because mm. it's a brilliant sequence where it's, after the first heist and you see baby going out to buy coffee for everyone that's been involved and it's just his journey from kind of the building where they're hiding out to the coffee shop and back again and it's so it's just so well executed that was the first instance where i was like this is kind of is a musical because yeah well it is everything's kind of perfectly curated in that um baby's movements match the song there are visuals within the scenes that match the song lyrics as well um like the people around him like footsteps it's very atm machines like musically it all kind of knits together yeah it's very hyperreal in that respect mm. it reminded me of i don't know if you've seen 500 days of summer yes but there's that particularly brilliant use of um the hall of notes song mm. um mm. Country, and there's um it's kind of this like it's it's very dramatically different to the rest of the tone of the film mm. but it's this kind of like you know a man going on about his day and he's like in a really good mood and the, this song matches his mood and everything around him seems to be responding yeah, to it yeah. which i think is like again something that baby driver does particularly well is match up the song with the actions yeah so whether, that bit, whether that's you know violent shootout mm -hmm. or whether it's something you know like but even the and, and the bullets right so they match the the, the rhythm of the yeah, song absolutely Just and the beats in the song yeah which is and amazing. again you know i mentioned the way that um edgar wright obviously storyboarded those songs to work with the action in the um, film and that's mm. a perfect example of that so that's um harlem shuffle is a, is a great use um, i really enjoyed the use of neat 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 by the way uh, yeah that was on my list as well yeah there's um it's just such a great song that I don't think I'd ever heard before. Um, obviously, mm. know the damn, but don't know their back catalogue particularly well. But um, again, it's a song when you listen to it after seeing the film, you, it makes perfect sense to be used mm -hmm. in that context, which I really enjoyed. Um, I really like Beck, so it's the yeah. use of Deborah. Deborah. Um, it's really funny, actually. It got me thinking about Beck's um, very incredibly varied back catalogue. Um, Midnight Vultures as a record is just that shit mm -hmm. that song sounds like some sort of homage to yeah. prince yeah like and then also um did you ever watch flight of the concord yes yeah you know a lot of the kind of um parody songs in mm -hmm. flight of the mm -hmm. concords it's impossible now for me to listen to midnight vultures without thinking of those i'm not thinking of that <laughs> um and there's also this brilliant use of um there's a blur song from modern life is rubbish called chemical world mm. they use the end of it which is this sort of kind of strange interlude um which goes into hocus pocus by focus uh, again on my list hocus yeah is that transition so blows my mind i've thought about it non-stop for the last 10 days and i've tried to recreate it actually that's my going to work sequence at the moment is those it? two songs into each other brilliant so yeah i mean we will 100 percent link to the spotify yeah. playlist for the yeah. for baby driver but um those are just some of my standout tracks i mean i do think that every single song has been perfectly picked and i can't yeah. imagine any other songs working in that context and i think that's obviously a testament to the the amount of work that edgar wright has put into the kind of the curation of those mm, i think without giving away the song um just a mini shout out to john ham drinking a cup of coffee um if anyone hasn't seen the film good luck dealing with that one it was too much i <laughs> is a um, bit much i i sort of felt 
the, through the, the entire film that I was on the edge of kind of losing my mind. Did that bit tip you over, April? I don't even want to I can't wait. It. Just, it's brilliant. Um, on to uh, music and film more generally, I think. Yeah, of course. Um, so we, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, film soundtracks we love, um, not including film scores. Film scores is a completely different yeah. kettle of fish. We're not, we're not doing film scores this time, maybe in a future we'll episode. We'll do it at some point. So we're doing curated soundtracks. Mm -hmm. So soundtracks for films and also not for television because, again, that could fill a few hours. If we talked about TV soundtracks... I think that might actually take longer. You would have me talking at length about The Wire and then I'd spend 45 minutes telling you about the brilliance of the use of the Melvins on the True Detective. True Detective, soundtrack. right. So, um, so before we go talk sort of about our own experiences with movie soundtracks, um, we did a bit of a kind of survey online um, on social media with um, our friends about some of their favourite soundtracks. Um, and I spent a bit of time tallying them up, as you do when you're a complete I like loser. How you, when you say we did a survey, it makes us sound really official. Oh, God, yeah. I just put it on we Facebook. Did a, uh, it's like, yo, straw poll, um, <laughs> what's your favourite? Um, these were... It was a very long list, actually. I'm quite impressed with my friends. I, I was um, really impressed. Really impressed. There was like 80 responses. It was great. Um, but the strong favourites are, um, not in any sort of order, um, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Guardians of the Galaxy, Garden State, sure. Fight Club, Oh, oh, <laughs> oh Brother Where Art Thou, Drive, Train Spotting, Lost Boys, the Departed, Purple Rain, 500 Days of Summer, Jackie Brown, Scott Pilgrim, Deadpool, Romeo and Juliet, High Fidelity, The Crow, True Romance, Harold and Maud, Queen of the Damned. So there were some of the, the ones that came up over and over again. So many of those are like formative films for me. Yeah. And <laughs> like shout out so to much. everyone who gave their response because I was actually impressed with people's level of... Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was great. It, the best thing I felt about actually going through that post that you did was kind of seeing how many of those do match up with kind of my own infatuations. Right. And how I could I just like perfectly kind of map my own like cinematic yeah. and musical trajectory. I mean like Garden State for me was a big one. Yeah, it's a huge. it was a huge relief to me as as well that everyone didn't just list Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction as yeah. like the, like I guess, you know I fully understand that mm -hmm. they are two classics but I liked the diverse range. There was a real variety actually <laughs> yeah, I mean I enjoyed the nicheness of some of them, um, there was a, an I Heart Huckabee shout out which there was. I just love, that's a film that never comes up in conversation yeah. um, so I was dead impressed with that, I mean um, it's really funny to sort of think about um, kind of film soundtracks, it's, it's definitely something I've always been really really infatuated mm -hmm. with um it's for me it's always the kind of um follow-up to kind of going to see a film and getting super into so it. listening to the music it's like listening to the music relentlessly um I um did like I said I wrote a blog post a few years ago because there'd been a um do you remember when they decided to rescore Drive Yes, yes. So, um, BBC Three and Zane yes, Lowe the new, oh. decided to do a, um, made the ridiculous decision to rescore Drive. Yeah, I don't know why you do. Mm. No, I mean, you know, I, I feel like the, the soundtrack for Drive is, is just amazing anyway. So I don't know why they decided to kind of put like, and it's not even like Drive is scored with like old music. No. So they were like, oh, let's do something contemporary. No, it was just, they just decided to put like, 
loads of random bands in it which completely changed the tone anyway i did a blog post then and i wrote about how like basically my undying love for every single teen movie between the ages oh, of 11 God. to now is pretty much can, yeah can we talk a little bit about like the soundtracks that we were infatuated with sure, as teenagers do you, you want to go first um so many of these will probably be the same uh, they're going to be the same so shout outs mute i'm sure most of these are going to be mutual shout outs um and you can also tell what kind of teenager i was right <laughs> um 10 things i hate about you is i can physically cannot listen to hypnotized by notorious bag right thinking without about thinking of that cat strap for dancing on a table I, again kind of like baby driver all of these songs are so yeah like knitted into my memory of that film i always want to dance scenes. like her just do horrible work so letters to cleo like there are a few songs by Letters to Claire on that. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Um, Wings of a Dove Madness. Uh, I, I can't, that song's... That's Sexy like, Boy by Air. Full disclosure, um, Wings of a Dove by Madness was on our wedding playlist. Based on that, that soundtrack yes. alone. Yep. Um, One Week, Bare Naked Ladies. There's just so many songs. I always want to listen to that in the car for that reason as well. And it's then um, the Joan Jett song. The can't. Joan Jett song. <laughs> it, uh, it's, I mean... Is, I have to. I think it's one of the best soundtracks. I think it's yeah. It was very important to me at that time. I listened to it like back to front. I think I just so desperately wanted to be Cat Strafford so much, so much. She's the coolest girl. Uh, I wanted to dance on a table. Yeah, um, anchor girl rock of the in indie rock persuasion. Yeah, and fuck me honestly. It's Brilliant. Such a great so ten things I hate about you's got to be one. Um, for me. <laughs> Brilliant, like teenage goth. Um, I loved Queen of the Damned, and I was extremely relieved to see soundtrack. two people like bring it's up really Queen of the good. Damned on that post because yeah. it's so good, bad. Um, our friend Maddie is also a really big fan of Queen of the Damned, and Queen of the Damned is not a great film, and it's not really a great soundtrack, but it is also a great film and a great soundtrack. Um, shout out to um, Deftones. Uh, changing the house of flies uh we've had so many conversations about yeah that, song. that hot that hot tub scene in that film i mean as a teenager i was like going forward i hope all of my much. sexual experiences are like this <laughs> um papa roach disturbed oh static x uh it's basically it's, like reading an episode uh, an episode an issue of kerrang jonathan it? davis it's oh, it's God. it's so hey, he did that video didn't he yes the, yes the great remember um, um yeah yeah, I mean, I feel that, that that's an incredibly important soundtrack for young goths everywhere, as is The Crow. The Crow, that was going to be my next. List yeah, well. um, The Crow, which is legitimately a good soundtrack. It's really, uh, that the, Nine Inch Nails song yeah, is one of my favourites. Nails, The Cure, Violent Femmes, Jesus and Mary Chain. I mean, that is, that's just a playlist that I would listen to anyway. Those are all bands I actively listen to. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Donnie Darko. I can yeah, imagine you might I have mean, a few things to say about I Donnie Darko. I can lyrical about the use of Donnie Darko. I mean, I remember buying that CD on import from HMV. <laughs> um, like, I, every time I hear that echo in the Bunny Men song, I fucking lose my shit. The Killing Moon is, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of... Um, cheesy to say but it is one of the best songs ever written i, I think. just feel like it's um, one of the best songs ever written and the use of tears for fears in that soundtrack yes. as well and i i do have to admit to getting really exasperated with mad world when it was consistently number one on top of the isn't pop it weird, isn't it weird to think about the fact that that was number one though it went on for weeks isn't, that's so weird that was the it, only bit that annoyed me the song from the donnie darko soundtrack was i think it's one. great in the film um it it would annoy me just as a standalone single by itself. Yeah, it's, I don't think I don't even actually think it's a particularly great cover. No, I'd rather listen to the original. Yeah, but fine. Yeah, Donnie Darko was definitely definitely on my um, list. 
one that probably isn't on your list, but that I was obsessed with, was the soundtrack to Party Monster. Oh, so, great film. So, yeah, Party Monster um, is a film about uh, Michael Ehrlich and the club kids in New York at their height um, and the subsequent murder of one of the club kids um, and the chaos that ensued. Stars Macaulay Culkin. Uh, it's got Marilyn Manson in it. Yeah, it's got of course, Manson in I was... Utterly, utterly obsessed with this sure. as a teenager, sure. um, and I was utterly obsessed with the soundtrack. Um, bit of Lady Tron, Felix the House Cat, Stacey <laughs> Q, Two of Hearts, Miss Kitten. It was like a rave going on in my I head. I love how niche that is. It's, I was, uh, yeah, and that brought me into a whole new realm of being kind of like disco goth for a oh, while. Like yeah. cybergoth. Yes, I, it was kind of cybergoth, but without, yeah, sure. without the kind of light crap. Really, like, raving. Yeah, just less, yeah, less ravey, or just raving in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> and the only one, other one that I would, I'm going to argue is a teenage love, but let's be honest, I was probably, like, 21 when it came out, um, is Twilight. Hey, I will ride for that Twilight soundtrack. <laughs> that it's Twilight legit. soundtrack is there so good. There are some really good. good songs on that. The um, the Paramore song. Oh, Decode is probably one of their best songs ever. It's a top five Paramore song yeah. for me. Um, yeah, it's a really great soundtrack. Iron and Wine. Oh, the Iron and Wine song. So Flightless Bird, American Mouth, when... Bella oh. and Edward are dancing at the end. Please Sorry, everyone. Emotional. Sorry, everyone, but that is a great soundtrack. Such a great scene. Um, it even made me not completely hate Muse's Supermassive Black Hole. So That's a really great use of that song, actually, on the baseball scene. Yes. Hey, I can remember it. See, exactly. There's another song where you think about a yeah. specific scene um, with God, it. I, I when played they're playing that. baseball in the field, um, and they can only do it when there's a lightning storm because they hit the balls with a baseball bat so loud it sounds like lightning. And, yeah, the back, the, the backing track is Muse's Supermassive Black Hole. Um, well, uh, the aforementioned iPod, which came back from the dead recently, is filled with the Twilight Sound. Is it? Yes, yeah. mine too. Because obviously I think I was just like super, super into them. I think I, I did enjoy the New Moon soundtrack as well, but it definitely wasn't as iconic as the Twilight soundtrack. There's a um, there's a Bonnie Vare and St. Vincent song, and I can't yes. remember which of the Twilights it's on, but it's like one of the best songs mm. on that track that soundtrack because it's just such a great pairing and such so weirdly atmospheric for a movie that was probably largely shit so yeah but i will always i'm hey i'll, I'll go, go I'll, back to I'll, yeah I'll, I'll go to bed for that is that your list done uh, that's the teenage bit um yeah so i mean there was definitely a lot of crossover there um for me um just some others i want to flag just mm. for the sheer importance for me growing up um i say growing up in my teen years um I was super, super into the Garden State mm. soundtrack. Um, the use of music in that particular film is really interesting as well. There's one particularly vivid scene where um, Zach Braff and Natalie Portman are in the uh, waiting room of yeah. the doctor's office yeah. and he's listening to something and he gives her his head... Or was it the way around? I can't remember. Anyway, headphones are involved and there's a Shin song and I just mm. remember being absolutely... Is that like 500 Days of Summer with the Smiths as yeah. well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the use of um, music in 500 Days of Summer is, is similarly um, compared... It's, it's just those headphones. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the headphone the, thing. It's the sharing of music over headphones of like that secret world of what you're listening to. So, yeah, I mean, Garden State was a really, really big one for me. Yeah. 
um, another one was um, maybe one of my first introductions to um, a lot of bands was um, the Cruel Intentions soundtrack. Oh my god, I forgot about Cruel Intentions. Actually, I hadn't forgotten about Cruel Intentions, but I'd made a note of Bittersweet Symphony because yeah. you just couldn't hear that song without um, I can't Cruel hear that um, Every Me, Every You by Sebo yeah. without thinking of Cruel Intentions. Um, there's a Counting Crows song, which I actually, such colour blind, makes me absolutely weep. Um, there's an Amy Mann song on there, which is my first introduction to Amy Mann, who's an artist that I absolutely adore. So that one for me was a big one. Um, the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack yeah. as well. See, um, I wasn't a big fan of Romeo and Juliet, um, okay, controversially. Um, but lots and lots of people brought this up. Yeah, I remember Love Fall being a really, really big one mm. um, for me. And there's also a Radiohead song on there, which is a B-side, mm. which um, is one of my favourite Radiohead songs. Mm. And I just love the fact that it's on the soundtrack of Romeo and Juliet. Um, so, yeah, that's another one for me. I mean, I've got a few kind of more modern ones. Mm -hmm. um, I think modern it. within the last few years. Yes. Um, so I've got some obvious ones. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Wes Anderson's mm -hmm. work, and I think that he uses kind of music particularly well. He kind mm -hmm. of goes between using more contemporary stuff and using some kind of quote-unquote classics. Um, there's one particularly powerful use of a Elliot Smith song, um, okay. Needle in the Hay in the Royal Tenenbaums. I can't remember. Um, it's, a, it's a scene where Richie Tenenbaum's in the bathroom. Um, it's just a really overly emotional scene, and I can't... That song in particular, just because of Elliot Smith's kind of history, that's one of my favourite songs by him, and um, that scene gives me chills, and that mm. song just is so incredibly powerful. Um, also talking about Elliot Smith, um, the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack... Yeah, yeah. Um, ...was huge for me. Goodwill Hunting's one of my favourite films, um, mm. and there's lots of Elliot Smith in there, um, with a lot of songs from his records, either or... Um, or and EXO, um, Miss Misery, um, the Elliot Smith song, was mm. actually nominated for an Oscar. Oh. Um, and it's just so brilliantly used um, in that film. Um, Submarine, I really like the soundtrack of Submarine. Yeah, um, yeah, Submarine. Yeah, Alex really Turner from um, Arctic Monkeys yeah. um, did some songs for that, which I um, really liked. Um, there's a film called Half Nelson. I didn't see Half Nelson. Um, Half Nelson's a Ryan Gosling film. It's about a teacher that's dealing with a drug addiction whilst also trying to work in a tough inner city school. Um, it's a really varied soundtrack, but there's a lot of use of Broken Social Scene, mm, who are mm. a band that I really, really like. Um, so that one for me kind of mm. um, is, is up there. Um, the Virgin Suicide soundtrack. Yeah, really good soundtrack. Air. That one's interesting because it is just all air. Mm. He wrote the songs especially for it. Um, There's a few other examples of that um, mm -hmm. that I'd also noted down, like Where the Wild Things Are, which was Karen O and the Kids. Oh, God, it was, um, it? I loved that. That was a really great soundtrack yeah. that I listened to consistently. I think that was pretty much all Karen O. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I would bring up uh, Purple Rain, um, oh yeah, undoubtedly. as a, a musical, uh, a Prince film and a Prince soundtrack, Purple Rain. Also, um, Under the Cherry Moon um, from Prince, which is not a great film, but the the record Parade is amazing. Um, and also the Batman soundtrack, oh, which God, was that, all Prince too. That Batman soundtrack, um, our friend Jimmy mentioned that to us when we were asking people what some of their favourites were. And um, it's I brilliant. That, that would be definitely coming up when you're concerned mm. um, on the old Prince front. Um, on the, the, we mentioned Drive already with mm -hmm. Cliff Martinez. Yeah. Um, 
The Neon Demon was also a really good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of soundtrack and score, so yeah, I don't really know where that one sits. I, I had Drive and, and Cliff Martinez's work down. Um, he also did Only God Forgives, mm. as well as Neon Demon, which were both the Nicholas Winding Refn. He's also mm. worked prolifically with uh, Steven Soderbergh as well. Yeah. Um, and there's some kind of crossover there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Drive has actual songs on it, and then it's got the score. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I don't know necessarily if Only God Forgives and Neon Demon are the same, but there is a kind of bit of crossover there. Yeah, Neon Demon's very similar. There's a couple of tracks. Uh, the track Mine by Sweet Tempest, which is near the beginning when oh, yeah. they go into the club. Mm -hmm. And they go into the club and yeah. there's that weird kind of um, stroby sequence. That sounds so um, good. Such a great song. Yeah. Um, and but I think there's probably only like two or three actual named tracks and then the rest is kind of score by Cliff Martinez. So yeah, it's a bit I mean, of a two-way... Um, on thing. Drive as well, um, I'd mentioned, um, I've got here down, uh, Chromatics, who've also been doing work on Twin Peaks, but they also mm. did some work on um, Johnny Jewell, who's from Chromatics, um, and Cliff Martinez um, did some work with Ryan Gosling on the, the score for Lost River. Oh, yeah. Which is very similar, has some kind of uh, actual songs on it as well as a score, so that's mm. another one I really liked. Um, mentioned 500 Days of Summer and that use of the Hall of Notes song, You Make My Dreams Come True. Mm. Um um, another film that I really liked from last year was Everybody Wants Some, which is the Richard Oh, Link of course, yeah. yeah which is I forgot Richard, about that one. Richard Linklater is incredibly good at assembling soundtracks. Yeah. Um, Dazed and Confused was another one that yeah. I know came up when we were asking people. Mm. Um, Boyhood as well is another Richard. I haven't seen Boyhood, so I haven't the heard the soundtrack. The use of music in Boyhood is really, really interesting. So if you don't know anything about Boyhood, it was a film that Richard Linklater made with... Um, uh, Ethan Hawke and a cast of others as well, and um, Patricia Arquette. Um, he made it over 12 years. They would mm. get together for a short period of time, over 12 years, do some filming, and then it came oh, out. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2014, maybe 2015. But the use of music in that is interesting because it sh helps show the lapse of time. Oh, so, so it's kind of, it, 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 it's aligned with the time frame? Yeah, kind of, yeah. So if you think about, um, it goes back 12 years. I mean, there's some use of, like, some really early Coldplay. Oh. There's some kind of bl early Blink-92 songs there. So not oh, early Blink-92, but, like, early 2000s Blink-92. And then as soon as the kind of the time progression goes on, there's some more contemporary mm, stuff. So mm. it's, it's kind of a, a really interesting use of modern music mm, and how mm. actually that can take you back, especially mm. for people our age, I think, because when I thought about that first Coldplay record, Parachute, that did make me think of like being that age and kind of people I knew that were really really mm, into it at the mm. same time so it's interesting and those Blink-182 songs as well that reminds me of being mm. in high school so it's kind of interesting how also American Pie uses, yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah he uses music to map those I mean Everybody Wants Some had an incredibly good kind of 80s soundtrack I it remember did. after I saw it I was relentlessly playing it um, there's a Van Halen song Ain't Talking About Love which I just played 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 and I think Tom was really <laughs> sick of it by the end of it um, another couple I want to flag are Lost in Translation obviously yep. brilliant use of Jesus and Mary yeah. Um, Tangerine was a film I saw um, in 2016, maybe 2015, that has a brilliant use of kind of like mm. um, LA based music, sort of like a lot of EDM. It's not necessarily something I would listen to, but actually the way it's used in the film is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World yes. kind of goes without saying, which yeah. we've talked about. Um, American Honey was a film I saw last year. Yeah, that yeah. was an interesting one because all of the music that's used in it is the type of music that those particular kids living in that particular area where the film was set, which is kind of the southern states, is the music would they would have listened to. to. So there's like some Migos on there. There's a lot of trap music. Um, there's this incredible 
incredible use of Mazzy Star's Fade Into You. Okay, yeah, yeah. Every time I hear it in a song, I'm immediately just... Like transported I, back. Yeah, I'm going to lose my mind because it's perfect. Um, the first time I ever heard that was on the Buffy soundtrack. Oh, my God. So there you go. That pretty much sets the tone. Um, <laughs> Demolition as well, a Jake Gyllenhaal film from last year, um, which wasn't particularly great, but it has an amazing use of Sue Fan Stevens, mm. which for me is like giving candy yeah, to a baby. Yeah. Um, a film that we saw, which was Green Room. Yeah, Green Rooms. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the soundtrack to Green, Green Room, Room's actually. Green Room's really, really great, yeah, because it's got like a kind of lot, lot of punk and hardcore on it, um, mm. which you don't it matches the often film. Yeah. see in cinema, and it, yeah, mm -hmm. again, matches the tone of it. Um, and maybe my favourite from the last year or so was um, the soundtrack for 20th Century Women, which was a film I saw at the beginning of the year, which is one of the best films I've seen mm. in a long time, and it has a lot of music from the late 70s early 80s a lot of talking heads there's some Bowie mm. on there um and it's just in a really really great soundtrack which i would definitely recommend mm. um people take a look at few other classics i just want to draw attention to. i mean i feel like we could go on forever actually yeah, it's just I a mean, huge topic yeah i mean it's just interesting to think about how you know i think if we look at the way that kind of baby driver will impact on the cultural landscape going yeah. forward is that people will be coming back to kind of the soundtrack and the use yeah, of music yeah. so it's interesting to think back about those that we've liked before in mm. the past because actually there's a kind of similar you know you hear that song and you, like we said you do automatically mm. think about it so. yeah i think some other Really memorable soundtracks for me are, of course, Dirty Dancing. You oh, can't sure. think of time in my life without thinking of Dirty Dancing or Be My Baby um, or Hungry Eyes without oh, thinking God, of Dirty yeah. Dancing. So that's a really excellent soundtrack. Pulp Fiction, of sure, course, sure. with Dick Dale, Dusty Springfield, Chuck Berry, Al Green. Um, some very memorable scenes in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Tarantino's um, a big one for me. Tarantino's a big one. He's very, um, I think if you had to compare Edgar Wright to anyone who you know, has a clear cinematic yeah. obsession and also is obsessed with music. Tarantino, Tarantino. Yeah, I think we could do a whole segment on Tarantino um, just alone. Um, Train Spotting. Uh, after seeing Train Spotting 2, after re-watching Train Spotting and then seeing Train Spotting 2 recently, I spent a few days listening to the Train Spotting soundtrack a lot. Um, there's lots of Iggy Pop, Blur, Lou Reed, Joy Division, New Order and Pulp on there. Um, which I kind is of like soundtracks amazing. which are like very of the time. Yes, so that's fair again, very yeah, of the very time. Of the time. Um, Lost Highway for me um, oh, sure. is yeah a really important soundtrack for me. Um, it was the first gift that Wes ever bought me when we started dating. Like a couple of weeks in, he bought me the soundtrack to Lost Highway um, because we shared a love of David Bowie, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Marilyn Manson. Personally, Good bit of Rammstein on there. It's such a funny um, soundtrack. It's the weirdest soundtrack. It? Um, it, it, I mean, it's such a David Lynch soundtrack. Again, it's a mix of kind of score and soundtrack, and it's just it's. It, it does work, but it doesn't work. Um, That's why it's so great, though. It's, it's brilliant. Um, and, of course, Labyrinth, which I always forget. Oh, sure. Um, Labyrinth is a great soundtrack as well. It's great fun. I feel like that's good for, a lot, for so many people as well. That would have been, like, the first introduction to Probably Bowie. Probably the first, yeah, the first, like, a really early introduction to Bowie. Um, we've kind of touched on it already with um, Cruel Intentions and Bittersweet Symphony, uh, Queen of the Dam, Change in a House of Flies, but kind of mu memorable music, mo musical moments where you get films that I don't always remember the entire soundtrack for, but I remember specific tracks. Mm -hmm. So... Um, 
Lost Boys is uh, oh, not... You. I can't like, believe I've gotten this far. Yeah, I haven't mentioned Lost Boys. I've tried really hard not to mention Lost Boys because it is my favourite film, for better or for worse. Um, there are some throwaway tracks on there, but um, Cry Little Sister is obviously... <laughs> I just As soon as you were talking about it, I like, was just thinking, like, oh, Cry, Cry Little, Little Sister, Sister yeah, which okay. is not by Sisters of Mercy. Um, I don't know why everyone thinks that's very... It doesn't sound we anything do like Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and The Doors, obviously. Um, I had to bring up Magic Mike XXL and Pony because I don't oh, think sure. I will ever. I don't know how I managed to not <laughs> mention that because XXL as well not only has so it obviously has the recurring use of, of Mike's song, which is uh, Genuine's Pony, but it also has Nine Inch Nails. It has Nine Inch Nails closer in it. It has Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. In it, it has a, a great um, Donald. Glover turn on it as yeah. well. Oh, it's got Donald Glover. So it's good. got Candy Shop. I mean, what fucking soundtrack? There was, I remember um, when Tom and I watched Magic Mike XXL together and I feel like a week afterwards I was just listening to that 50 Cent song and I just felt so questionable about it. <laughs> That's how I feel with Pony. I don't think I'll ever hear Pony and not I think of the sequence. Yeah, I can't ever think about anything else when I hear like it. Like some sort of sexy carpentry going on. Um, <laughs> so much. Um, there's a track in Death Proof uh, which is down in Mexico by the Coasters which is like the stripping song, like the stripping oh, yeah. song. And I love that song and I love that scene. I think because yeah the music just so perfectly fits it's like I, I just it's i think gorgeous. i always really like when when songs are allowed to be like front and center yeah and again that happens in baby driver the song is kind of a, so integral to what's happening mm. and i do love it when that happens in films because like it's so like not i mean I, I could talk for hours about how i actually think this is a legitimately good film but in the vin diesel film um triple x <laughs> yes there's an opening sequence which is ramstein again and it's foyer foy um <sighs> And I don't just, think I'd listen to Rammstein apart from when they're just so perfectly picked for soundtracks. And it's, it's just an opening sequence, and that song works so well. And like any other song, it wouldn't work, but, but it drives the action, and you just think, like, yeah, that's a really good execution. I can imagine Vin Diesel probably hadn't come across Rammstein before that film. I can't imagine he's a, um, a big, big Rammstein big fan. Big fan. So, hopefully you're now acutely aware of the fact that we could just talk for hours about Baby Driver. I mean, I would very much recommend seeing it if you haven't already. Um, I am sort of slightly biased because I do think that Edgar Wright is one of the best directors around and I do think that his um, films are kind of like little cinematic gifts. But, I mean, in terms of films that are coming out this summer, I feel like summer's peaked for me. So yeah, yeah. I'm kind of coasting. I wonder whether there will be many other films this year that I've loved as much as Baby Driver. Dunkirk. <sighs> that says it all, really. So, um, Obsession of the Week, um, just Ooh. because it neatly ties into both of these points. Ooh. Um, I'm going to take one guess at what your Obsession of the Week is. Do you want to go first, though, or do you want me to get it out of the way? Um, you guess mine, and I'll guess yours. Is yours everyone at the Dunkirk? <laughs> I think I've done quite well in not bringing up people I fancy for like an hour and a half on this podcast. Sure. So um, just shout out to Dunkirk. Uh, the premiere was a couple of days ago. Uh, the holy trinity of Tom Hardy, Harry Styles and Killian Murphy in suits at that premiere is insane. Can you imagine being anyone else in that film? Like, and trying to just even make yourself like heard and you've just because all the chatter is just tom hurdy killian murphy and harry um, styles i mean one thing that i did think was quite funny looking at those premiere pictures um on the internet in the last couple of days is that like harry looks a bit like he's lost 
Like, yes. I can't believe that he's there. But they actually show him where to stand. Yeah. Um, Killian Murphy just looks like he can't be asked, which my favourite thing, and I think I must have retweeted this from the first account, is just, like, Killian Murphy's utter disdain for everything. <laughs> like, he just looks like he just would rather be doing anything else, which is why I love him. Um, and then Tom Hardy just being Tom Hardy. Just staring at Charlotte. Just Sorry. being... That is... I mean, it has occupied my mind quite a lot this week, so I couldn't... I probably couldn't name anything else on over... I mean, one, the thing, that, premiere, one so. thing that came out of this recent Dunkirk bringing these three back into the fold is that, like, my vague annoyance that everyone's suddenly, like, riding for killing Murphy. Oh, yeah, fuck off. Full disclosure, when How I was How many years high... has that been, like... When I was in high school and I saw 28 Days Later... Uh, you obsessed uh, with Killian Murphy. Oh, my God. Was, yeah. And everyone told me that he looked like a crack addict <sighs> and that he just wasn't attractive. And then as soon as Peaky Blinders comes out, everyone's like, oh... Who's this Have guy? you heard this new kid on the block called Killian Murphy? He, don't even, honestly. Just can't even... Don't even want to talk about it. No, it's been a pretty big deal. Um, I'm going to imagine your obsession of the week begins with Edgar and ends in right. God. So if you don't... Go on, April. Oh, fuck's sake. If you don't follow Edgar Wright on Instagram, um, I would suggest that you do so. His Instagram's good because he actually likes good photography he so just likes pictures of his face that's all it is he was just ruining my build up he's a good photographer and takes good pictures <laughs> on his good camera and is a good good person bollocks. to follow but Go on. this baby driver tour has been very good for me because um, he's been doing a lot of press and I just think he's adorable <laughs> totally adorable I just love him so much because he's just a really really obvious nerd like if you heard if you hear him talk he just sounds like a nerd. He's got such luscious hair. He's I can't get over the luscious hair and such style. such a nice beard. And he just always wears <laughs> black. And always has nice shoes. And I just want to be his best friend, really. But just, he's so great. So this, I'm really, I'm glad we've got Baby Driver out of my system, really. Because I think now, now I can just relax for a bit. Um, so well, you say relax for a bit. Dunkirk's out, like, the end of next week. Oh, Christ. I mean... Um, that that issue of Sight and Sound magazine in which Mark Kermode interviews Edgar Wright has been like on my coffee dream table come for true. weeks and it's just such a delightful picture of him on the front cover and I just love him so much yeah I just can't even I can't even I can't even she's she's speechless I think I mean oh god I just think there's not going to be a week where like Obsession of the Week isn't a boy of some description well I mean our podcast is called The Thirst, so we have to exhibit some thirsty tendencies. So if, it, if it's me talking about how much I respect and appreciate Edgar Wright's work and his face, then I don't mind. No, we're not apologising for anything. No. Cool, so that's um, episode six done. Don't forget you can find us online. We're on Twitter at The Thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. iTunes, you can search for us, The Thirst. Instagram, we're at The Thirst Pod. If you want to send us any feedback and questions, you can email us, thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, please appreciate the fact that this is a shorter episode. We've tried really hard. We are really conscious about Curbing our thirstiness we're curbing our enthusiasm um we're trying to be shorter so we are going to try harder um so please don't send us any feedback about how this episode is actually half an hour shorter than normal because i very much we're trying you. guys you we're send trying. us too much feedback saying they're too long so now Jeez. we're trying to cut it back cool bye uh bye <laughs>
No pressure. Okay, shall we record the podcast? Ready. Ricky, 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 Ricky,